Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. with Roberto Fusco. Hello. Um, in Galleria Ha. Galleria Ha. Galleria yeah, ha. which stands for Helsinki Artist Association. Okay. Uh, can you explain anything about this place? Uh, the place itself or the... Ex- oh, oh, right. Yeah, okay. Or yourself? Well, like, you get to decide. Okay, okay. <laughs> It's good to tell stories, right? Yeah. To convey messages. So I, I can say a little bit what's the story of this um, exhibition. Like uh, we got to the point that we actually put up put up the show. Yeah, we're in a group show. Yes. Um, Sweet water, rough water, and um, it's uh, organized by Valmed uh, Artist Association. Uh, which is an association that um, it's mainly but not uh, entirely based in Kuopio uh, and I'm part of it being Helsinki based anyway but most of the artists comes from Kuopio and it's particularly the focus is to give um, sort of opportunities or give uh, uh, attention to both media art, photographic art, video art so there is a particular emphasis in those practices. And um, so last year, Palmet had the opportunity to have uh, basically this summer slot in the program of, the, of this um, Galleria Ha. And uh, it was decided that the theme of the exhibition would be uh, like quite general and could be interpreted in many ways, but it would be about water and the sea. So when we are actually sort of uh, um, started proposing our work for the exhibition, the, the only guidelines we, we had as artists participating was just to respond to this theme of water and the sea. 
but accidentally uh, most of the artists that that um, that are here in a way or in another have a quite strong connection with um, with this theme so all the pieces that are here are different um, present different encounter encounters with the with the water and the sea are all the works made specifically for this exhibition or are there like is it a collection of older works most of the works are um, they they existed also before this exhibition some has have been a little bit tailored for the space of course but I would say the piece itself uh, the pieces themselves uh, they were made previously and um, especially the video pieces that we, we are gonna see mm-hmm. together uh, our work joint work with Emma Felt, who is an artist also from Balmet, an association from Kopio I collaborate with, I've been collaborating with for many years. Uh, it's, a new, it's a new installation that we are actually presenting. Some elements of it uh, come, some materials come from a previous exhibition we had in Kopio in Ars Libera uh, Galleria in 2019. But um, I would say um, the installation is sort of brand new. We, we made it for this space and thinking of this space uh, when we came. Let's talk for a moment about this space. So, Suomalina, it's this. There are a lot of small islands outside of Helsinki, which have been all like military islands. And uh, Suomalina, I guess, was the main military fortress. Fortress <laughs> yes. island. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's also the best kept one. Um, you can go here year round. Uh, the ferry takes 10, 15 minutes and you can just use your bus travel card to go here. Some of the smaller islands have only more recently been opened. Um, and they, you can only go there in the summer. And there are like large areas of all the islands that are still closed off for you. You can't walk there because it's still an active military area and there could be like old um, ammunition and, and landmines and stuff still hidden. They have been cleaning up, but... Exactly. I think Swamilina so, probably one of the first that was open like to the public. Yeah. And, um, and people live here. Like, exactly. It's, it's big enough that we are in a gallery, there is a supermarket. People live here. There are like maybe two cafes. It's in, indeed, yes, yes. It's like it's, a tourist village where people live in these old, cute wooden houses, and there's an artist residency. Yeah, know? exactly. I mean, we have also like HIAP here, which mm-hmm. uh, like organizes residences, uh, and um, also we have uh, the art school Ma. Mm, sure. uh, on the so other people side do commute the... here also. Yeah, yeah. So people people also live here. I think, of course, having a show at, in July here, it means that most of your audience they are actually tourists like passing by, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to um, the maybe the the residents, the, the the locals here or Helsinki crowd, which mo- I would say at this time of the year is probably elsewhere and not not in Helsinki. So that's that maybe something also that I we had in mind that maybe um, it's not the usual crowd that you get in Helsinki, but it's a little bit um, 
people that happen to be here. They don't come to our exhibition like uh, intentionally, but they just stroll by the gallery. So it's not the initiated art crowd that no. always just uh, like hang out at each other's uh, events to, yeah. uh, to catch up more than look at the art often. Uh, indeed, yeah. indeed, indeed. So it's, it's a little bit different than, than the usual. And also I think there is a bit of synergy hopefully because of the Helsinki Biennale so people are maybe already in the mindset of island hopping. Yeah, Helsinki oh. Biennale is taking place in one of these other islands I talked about that have more recently been opened, Valisari, which I, it is scheduled that I'm going to do an episode there as well, so uh, yeah, you can look forward to that. Um, But yeah, you're right, definitely. I mean, the tourists know that they can come yeah. and see art in these places. Exactly, and there are also other exhibitions. There is also another exhibition like going on in another space, which is like a very, very beautiful old hangar for sheep that now it's mm -hmm. not used anymore. And there is another exhibition that also speaks um, about the Baltic Sea. So it seems that also there there was um, we we thought that it would be nice to just resonate with the other like um, uh, artistic work going on in the island did you know beforehand that it was going to be in this gallery or was the theme of the exhibition set first and then you found a space that were suitable no we we knew about Somelina, we knew about this gallery and uh, maybe at at the same time pretty much when there was the open call from inside Valmet, so there was like an open call for the members of the association, the space was already um, consolidated and also the times and also the team. So okay. all this was a sort of a package or a framing for, the, for us to work with. And what has this building been before? It's like a military barrack, right? Um, it, I am actually not sure. You caught <laughs> me. I think uh, we are in an old military barrack of some sort, and I'm not sure what has been in here, but it could have been anything like a weapons house or like living quarters or whatever. It's a long house with many rooms, uh, and I don't know when it dates from, but it's brick. It's like old. Yeah, I, d I don't research yeah. much for this episode, yeah, I, and I'm, I, I'm starting to think maybe I should. I, I, I think we have been a bit uh, focusing on what's uh, you know on the content and a little bit less on the content this time. But yeah. I, th I think it was also, of course, it, it it's a, I think it's a beautiful space because it's not that neutral. It's not too white cube. I mean, it is white, and the floors are these like beautiful wooden. Uh, like very clean, yeah. clean planks kind of. Yeah, but also the, the, the ceiling is, uh, I think that, that makes huge difference. The round uh, ceiling and yeah. the windows are old and like definitely it's a mm. particular place. And so yeah, maybe that's good. Let's describe a little bit more the room that we're in. Yeah, um, well the, the galleries, uh, it's made of two long rooms. Um, And uh, exactly, the ceilings are like uh, this volta. I don't know what's the, the name in English. Yeah, it has a specific name, it, yes. but I don't know. I'm not it's, uh, a sculptor. Yeah, it, I it, am, but not taught as a sculptor. Yeah, so. yeah. 
but uh, so it's definitely not square and, and boxy and it's long and um, there are two of them and there is like a sort of corridor that connects these two rooms and uh, of course the, for us this was a bit of a challenge because you need to consider that there are basically nine works presented at, at the same rooms. time in the two rooms. And it's all media works, so there's a lot of video and sound happening. Exactly. Yeah. So th th I think that's an interesting, very concrete constraint you need to work with when you organize a group exhibition. So you join effort, but you also, you know, join the sound uh, that you produce. Yeah, definitely. The works, they blend together in a different way when you can't allocate like yeah. solo space. Exactly, them. and the light also it's something that you need to negotiate. Um, Basically you just turn off most of the light if there is like more than one video in the room. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly. And of course we had to shuffle things around in order to, to make sense both thematically but I would say mainly from uh, an experiential point of view so you get the most out of all the works and they don't conflict. Uh, some works are like fixed media, they are photographic work in the other room, so they require more lights and, uh, and then they you have like quite large projection which requires quite the opposite mm. and then of course the sound, so when we sort of prepared the sound um, I, I thought that uh, it's, it needs to be something that can interfere nicely with other pieces and also be uh, contaminated by the other sound and that's okay like you don't think it as uh, your own sound uh, because it gets diffused it doesn't get trapped inside your installation so and also this invigilator the person who is like keeping the gallery open working here is sitting yeah. right here next to us in this room yeah. and listening to the sound Many yeah. hours every day. Yes, yes. Uh, but yes, that, that's Venla that is, uh, yeah, it's really great that we actually have an, like an invigilator even, yeah. even, even, but first of all, because you, you know, it runs the space, she runs the space and also you, many people, uh, as I said, they are, they, they don't live in Helsinki. So it's also being in, like, in Pobre, so they, they cannot sort of, be here and if something happens like you need to trust the person who's, who, who, who works here. But I think she has headphones at the moment so we don't bother her. Yeah, for the listeners, Kuopio is a smaller city. I mean in Finland you would call it a city, in bigger countries you would call it a town. And it's uh, five hours north with yeah. the train, something yes. with the railway, yeah. maybe yeah. five hours north. Yeah. I don't know how many kilometers that is, but a few hundred or something. Yeah, I think when I go with the bus, it's five hours, five hours and a half. And it's, you know, not like the, this, the city itself, it's um, unspectacular, I would say, but the surroundings are really great in the sense of, you know, there is, there is this beautiful lake, there is a lot of greenness. So, as many places in Finland, I think they strike more from the surrounding of the place itself than uh, the actual the, the, the old city or, or you know the, the urban side of, of the cities. Um, maybe Helsinki uh, still gives you quite much like from like architecture wise 
but uh, otherwise it's usually what's around that's the, the most beautiful part of the cities. cities. Yeah, and the social scape is quite different outside of Helsinki. In Helsinki, everyone are strangers. Like no one, there, there are not that many locals. It's a big city for everyone. And then, mm. like when you go out into the country, you come to places where people feel at home, and it's it's different. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So yeah. So a lot of the artists, because this art organization that has organized this is based in Kopio. Yeah. So then a lot of the artists in the exhibition, they came here just for installing and then yes. went home and again. Yes, and then they went, they went home again. So in, for that it was great that we uh, received uh, uh, a grant from uh, Taipei specifically like to, for the production of, of the exhibition, which meant not as much like material cost and things like that in this case but actually to have the artists coming here and put the work up mm. so that was really uh, crucial and so your collaborator emma lives in Kuopio, and you have worked together before right yeah it's now it's been more than six years that we are working together how does it work to have uh, an art collaborator that lives like quite far away yeah yeah i think we have um, we also okay uh, with with uh, we sort of created a bit of a method for ourselves uh, during these years because of course you start i think when you start a collaboration it might start from whatever accident but you start like talking there is some sort of uh, um, chemistry going on and uh, and common interest uh, also personality wise you need to match otherwise it, it, it just drives drive each other crazy best if you find some of the same things funny and yeah exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> I would say yeah sharing a similar sense of humor uh, it's uh, it's very very important because there are a lot of stressful moments but um, the way we do it is that um, we uh, she happens to come to Helsinki relatively often and so when when she comes we try to spend like to do sort of mini residencies like that we spend a few days together very intense where we you know we can just talk forever and we can plan things and we can also do some little experiments mm -hmm. but and also I go to Kuopio I've been to Kuopio several times and then maybe I spend a week or a long weekend and then we work together nice. yeah so it, it, it's nice so, but, so do you find i'm sorry yeah no, no, do you find that when you have to allocate time in this way more concentrated do you do more efficient work together do you really go into this like uh, boot camp mode and and stay really focused with the process or like can you not do it on command in this way? No, uh, I, we, I would say not on command, but definitely um, we try to be, th those moments are very focused moments. And also there is, um, I would say almost this uh, meta planning going on where you actually decide beforehand what we are gonna work or talk about and the decision that needs to be made at that time. So uh, con maybe contrary to the expectation that, you know, an, any artistic process is completely chaotic and you don't have control. I don't know if there is such an expectation, but my experience is that 
um, we because time like the time management is so crucial with busy life we really make it so we we make it work in a way that okay we are this moment of the process we need for instance to decide and try out which kind of you know for an example how much soap we need to put in the water when we do the suminagashi and which kind of paper we need to use and uh, what kind uh, we should try out like in other pieces uh, we need to work one week with this robotic arm because that's the time we have that we can use it so it uh, there is a lot of uh, of project management i think in that other other otherwise uh, i think um, it would take much longer to produce one work like uh, like i don't know and it already takes ages like it already i, I think to put, to to make to make a good new work it takes two years i would say from the moment you start thinking to the moment you have to you show it. A lot. yeah yeah if it's a brand new if it's a sort of a new idea i think you you need to go through that it would take so much more time I think a lot of there's like different approaches to the work, like you say, maybe there's a um, trope that artists just like spend chaotic time in the studio and like spin around a few times and then like some art spits out of their hands like mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. Yeah, sure, that is also a process, but that's a little bit easier what to do when you're alone. Yeah, so I think exactly. if, you, if you work alone, you can have a chaotic process, but if you work with someone and you have to schedule meetings like I assume that you guys talk a lot on the phone or have video calls to do all this pre-production and meetings like do, doing collaborations with someone durationally it's mainly just a lot of talking and a lot of uh, Excel sheets and a lot of Google Drive yes. documents uh, yeah, that's and a quite, lot of emails. That's and quite accurate. So, yeah. yeah, because everyone needs to be on the same page of this project management. You can be chaotic when it's your own chaos yes. and then, like, I don't know, yeah. maybe you can keep all the balls in the air, maybe not. Yeah. But if you are, like, juggling in this way and then expect someone else to be on your, like, lack of sleep uh, cycle or something. I yes. mean, you have to really be in sync. Or you need, you need, and and you need to be very. I would say, you need to be very in the same way as you should be understanding and kind to yourself when you work, not to drive you crazy even more when you are another person. Like it's yeah. so that's why the chemistry is important because you need to. Uh, to be sensitive and empathetic. And, and living and together, it makes it easier to have this like weird flow where you don't schedule too much. But then again, if you have an exhibition, yes. you need to schedule. You need to schedule. Yeah. And, and I think some when you sort of plan this session, you can also plan a um, very chaotic session. Like you know that, that for one day, we there is no wrong idea, we just go for it. We just try out things. But we know that it's we dedicate that. So also also this is still focus work, but it's focus messy work. And you can plan also that. Yeah, I have a, a video friend in Copenhagen that I have done some works with and and we have had sessions like that. Some sessions where we kind of know where we what we're going into for like also having the technical setup ready or mm -hmm. whatever. But also a lot of sessions where we have just met and then it's like, okay, we have this setup. We'll drink wine and we will listen to jazz and then it will get late mm -hmm. and, and we will just like see what happens and then having some like rules that 
take turn on being the captain and deciding the pro what is happening or and like kind of getting to to control the situation or there's always space for someone's idea yeah so there's always time and space to try out something if someone has a dream that they really want to visualize mm -hmm. you will find the time for it even yeah. if the other person thinks it's a bad idea because you yeah. need to get it out of your system of course of course and so yes. yeah i think finding people that you can work with in this free fun way that you can also trust Mm -hmm. in this more uh, professional matter yeah. is very valuable. Yeah. Like you say, it's chemistry, whatever, but it's also, will this person actually deliver on time? Will they, you know, live up to the responsibilities yeah. they take on or... Yeah. I mean, it's still, uh, I would say, anyway, it's, 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 a, it's work. Yeah, and like exactly. So, so uh, I think if you have, uh, I think that's the professional attitude, like when, when I think about Uh, professional artist. I don't really know what people mean by that. <laughs> uh, if the professional artist is something connected to you make money out of your art. I mean, all these kinds of... All this discourse really doesn't interest me much, but professional in the sense that you are accountable for the... that you have a responsibility uh, towards the other person, towards your audience, towards all the yeah, workers. Exactly. Like, I mean, there are so many people that gravitate around your work because you're not an artist uh, just putting something on your, on your wall for yourself. So, it's a, it's, it, it, anyway, it's an ecosystem. You're part of it and you need to have the uh, people... Yeah, as you say, it's like you, you trust that things will go in a certain way and you need to also be responsible for that. And you need to also have fun together because if you work closely like this, like creating art, that is a trope, but it's also true. Like, it's a weird, sensitive process and it's you know it's it's quite intuitive even when you do schedule a lot a lot of the ideas and the thinking and the actual creativity it's really hard to verbalize sometimes and it, it comes in a little bit like you can't you don't know why you like something or not yeah. but you just like yeah. have a preference and you know it's right yeah. and so to share that with someone else and find someone that you can agree on these creative decisions is yeah. also I, I think when special. my experience is that I, I, I mentioned like these two years to make a piece mm. and what I mean is that um, in order to really understand why you are doing what you're doing to be able to verbalize it to another person it just takes a lot of time time that you're not even working on the thing it yeah, just you need, you need to think uh, you know you, I think you need to metabolize it for a very long time you cannot just okay, now I have the idea, I'm able to write what it is, why it is it. I don't never, it, more, most of the time is while you're doing it and you see that actually, okay, this, this makes sense to me, then you will, you will recapitulate and you will build a story of why that happened to you. Yeah, and, we over-conceptualize a lot all the time along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, at certain point, you, you then say, that it makes sense, but yeah. it, it takes more time to, to say why it makes sense. And there's also like doing and then like reflecting and there are different yeah. stages, yeah. which is why I'm like just not writing my thesis right now, even <laughs> though I should, because yes. it's a little bit crazy to have to do it immediately after doing the work. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't know, I've been like yeah. in the production of something, I can't just zoom out and then like analyze it and say, oh, actually that relates to the art history in this way. I don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course I can a little bit, sure. but it's also crazy. My mind is yeah. like, 
yeah. I need space. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really understandable. But um, I would say to a certain extent is a very good exercise not to, uh, to, to be able to verbalize when I think about uh, um, the whole, uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about that, but the whole uh, like grant application system, the fact that you are not even sure what you're going to do, but you are you already need to be able to say what you're going to do. And uh, I mean, honestly, your chances are better if you already have a 3D model of how the work will look in the exhibition. But, but you, you also, of course. Yeah, but that's a little bit crazy because for some people, you don't know how the work is going to look yeah. when you apply for the money to start it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, that's good to have it and you make a sketch and then you change it because once you get the money, you can change it, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah. It doesn't really matter too much I'm, as long as you actually present something. <laughs> But that you think makes sense, but uh, you also need to be able to say what, why, where, all this uh, basic question. So yeah. maybe not really a reflection, but at least like a synopsis of, of a kind. A and it might be deep, a plan also. It might be hard, it might be hard in a way to do it every year when uh, the project is long. But uh, yeah. And I think let's segue that because this was a very long, good intro, but then yes. let's talk about your actual work. Here. Yeah. So. When you made this plan, like when did you start working on this project? Mm, so when was the um, open call in, mm, internally? The the open call, I believe, was in the fall. Last fall. Yes, last fall. Okay. Last fall. And now we are in July. July. Exactly, exactly. So at at that point, uh, what I what we proposed. Uh, was uh, somehow different than what we are seeing now. Yeah, surprise, surprise, like, surprise, how surprise, how right? Yeah, spoiler alert, <laughs> it all changed. But yeah, so it, 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 is, it is different, but uh, so initially, maybe I can say... Maybe, maybe you can just describe the work yeah, from where we're sitting. Yeah. So we are sitting actually in front of someone else's work because now when we talked before about these two rooms and how to divide the works and take up the space, so you have taken up a lot of the space in this exhibition. Um, Your work well, is quite large and it's, yeah. it's quite loud. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not bad, but it's just, yeah, that's why uh, we are actually that sitting... That is a bit of a judgmental... Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I, I didn't no, mean to say it this way, but fine. I wanted to just explain to the audience that we are, or the listeners, that we are not actually sitting like inside of the installation right now, we are sitting a little bit on a distance yeah, we are, because we thought the sound would be maybe better yeah, for talking yeah. about it. Uh, yeah, so anyway what we had in mind because it was a joint effort uh, with, with Emma is that we wanted to build a bit of an installation mm -hmm. rather than just presenting our work. So it's comprised of different elements and different like um, media. Uh, the, the first element that we that we can see from outside this, this sort of mini room in the room are this um, sculpture made of paper that is hanging from, from the ceiling. It's, there are three stripes, uh, um, more or less three meters high. Almost like curtains. Exactly, exactly. And the idea with, with this, it's, uh, it serves as a sort of a separation inside and outside. And uh, it, it was also presented as a one piece before in this other exhibition we had. Now, now Emma divided in three stripes, oh, okay. yeah. so that there is this more sense of entering in the space. And um, it's made of uh, 
many pieces of recycled uh, paper from uh, recycled paper that was sort of available to Enma from previous works, uh, but also um, from books uh, that she collected um, that um, talk about the sea. So some of the papers uh, are, um, and they are all uh, treated, this paper, using this uh, Japanese technique called suminagashi, which is this uh, paper modeling technique. It's a very old uh, uh, sort of printmaking technique. Often you would find it in old books in like the inside of the cover, this like little extra flap or on the cover itself or something that yeah, this colorful marbling effect or... Exactly, so like that can be more wavy mm -hmm. or a little bit more grainy and... Um, okay, so she has found all these papers and then done this to all of them, how they were. Exactly, so she has done really like many, many sort of edition of that on different papers. Mm -hmm. Then she cut it with this shape that resembles a bit uh, the skin of, uh, of a fish. Yeah, so like how they are assembled now, it looks like curtains of like uh, maximized uh, uh, skin. What is it? Shales in English? No, is that the right? Scalia, yeah, I don't know. It I, sounds I it mean, sounds in plausible. English there are so many then. different words yeah. for skin and scales and... Yeah, but that, exactly. I mean, the, what it's fish outside... Scales. Fish skin. I think that's skin. correct. I think fish it's scales. Scales. Oh, they, scales. Yeah, the audience understands. The listener <laughs> understands, I think. Um, so they, they resemble that. And some of them, if you look closely, uh, they also uh, there is some text because it comes from the book, and in others you just see the pattern that emerged from this uh, suminagashi technique. Did she dye them, like, or is this no, the color they were found in? It, it it's all it's only done with uh, water, and then uh, what you realize when you do a lot of this suminagashi is that the, depending on the salinity of the water, so if it's water from the sea or water from the tap and how much salt you hold, even keeping the same box of water, the same amount of water, the salinity of the water really has an impact on the, uh, how flowy or more scattered is the pattern that emerges, which is very beautiful because it, this is really the classical kind of... Um, not even accident, but knowledge that you get to while you are in the process of making something. So did she use ocean water from the specific place? Yes, because she's been in Norway for a residency some years ago, uh, so she still has uh, a little bit of water from... Uh, wow. From, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and then she moved, like, of course, she was also tap water, but, you know, using different concentration of, of salt inside as an impact on the, on the pattern and now the ink flows on, on top of the water because the, this whole thing works because of the property of the water called surface tension, meaning that uh, things that you put on top of the surface like paper will just not not even flow. It will just not go through. It will stay on top of the water. It doesn't go stick. It, 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 it sticks. It sticks. I cannot go through. And then the technique is actually that with a stick with ink on the end, you pierce the surface. Mm -hmm. So you you make a little hole, and usually that and always this creates a radial pattern that goes from the point of contact to outside. Mm -hmm. And then you can, for instance, just agitate the water gently, exactly, or just blow on it, uh, and, and of course it's a very old technique and people really 
can get virtuosistic about the kind of pattern they realize. Yeah. But but, but I think all it's, very markedly yes, looking or, and, or spotted or yes, and and a sort of sort of wavy. Yeah. There's a waviness in in, like in that exactly. And the color scheme here, I'm sure when we go closer, that it gives that there is more nuances. But from here, it's quite like. Um, not monochrome, but very like black and white, and a little bit of uh, brown or or like yellow paper colored, but quite um, stringent somehow. What? Stringent. Or yes. Yeah. 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 Not not very not very saturated colors in a way. No, and also like just not very colorful. Very. Yeah. Uh, it like it goes quite well with the room in a way. Yeah. 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 They, they yes they don't. Uh, yeah, it's grayish plus this uh, this brown. So it's yeah, yeah quite muted coloring. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it still stays. It's very complex because of the you know the quantity of the different yeah, ones. But it's still, are they? yeah, it's three meter, yeah. I think, from from the, the whole thing. So this was originally called the armor in the mm. in the exhibition, but and I think it's a bit like it protects because also there it is protects the, the work. It protects the work, but it's also a little bit. Um, it protects maybe us from really accessing the water or go, going into mm. the water. But I would say it's almost like a membrane, yeah. like more more literally like a membrane, something that lets things come in and out, but in a selective way, like a membrane. So this is a little bit the the, the intention behind this uh, component of, of the work. Then uh, okay, so actually this TV monitor screen in front—that's not part of your work. No, that's ah, not part okay. of Okay, at first I thought it was connected because no. they're like so close neighbors. Yes, yes. Uh, no, the work that you see on the monitor is from another artist, and it's this uh, uh, quite photorealistic 3D animation of uh, a dream world of he uh, created of sort of a natural environment that has been contaminated and then the, it comes from a VR piece so, uh, and this is like a rendering of uh, an exploration of this contaminated, big, dreamy, uh, psychedelic uh, environment that okay. you visit. So it, it, it deals very much with this human interferences or actually contamination and pollution of the um, natural, if we want to say natural or like non non uh, not meant or not not man made uh, environment but this one white uh, like fold pink chair that is placed in front of this monitor in front of your curtains creates such a nice scale for for your work like yeah. the curtains really uh, yeah. like i don't know the installation is like behind this tiny little chair yeah Okay, and then there is this light happening, like a lighthouse. Yeah, so yeah, then I, I, I built this uh, small lighthouse and, um, and that like rotates with a certain like um, speed and then uh, every two minutes it stops and it does like two flashes of light and the reason is that it's actually, uh, that's the pattern that a specific lighthouse uh, uh, called Swomen Leyona in the Baltic Sea, the open sea of the Baltic Sea. Um, it's the light characteristic of that lighthouse. Lighthouses uh, I got to learn because I was searching, 
they have the so-called light characteristic, which basically it's a sort of ID. It's a sort of the name of the of the lighthouse. So, so people who know will know what lighthouse they're looking at just yeah. from how the light acts. Exactly. That's very it, clever. It is very clever. It is very clever. Also very complicated in a way. Like yeah, but ima imagine where you know you really don't know where you are and you start seeing a light. Yeah. Suppose, suppose all the maps just got bananas, no GPS, no nothing. If it was really overcast all day, something you could have a doubt if you're sailing into like Helsinki or Tallinn or yeah yeah and I mean imagine also how it was I don't know 100 years exactly. ago exactly so the lighthouse characteristics with the light that is like an old tradition it has yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's it's an old thing of course the the lighthouses they have been updated but still they have this sort of it's it's a sort of Morse code that says yeah, yeah. hey I'm this lighthouse and and the person says okay now I now I get it probably where I am and I thought it was very very nice sort of old old language Wonderful. yeah so i wanted to incorporate that in the pattern do you know if the captains have like a folder or like a list or do they know them by heart that i don't know but no. I, I can i can send you the link to the wiki page where there are all the like characteristic yeah all let's the add it houses. in the show notes yes, for the it's, listeners. It's, it's, i was very impressed that uh, that anyway that's that's something that you can access uh, like you can bump how do you say um, step into when you do this research that you can get all this information. I, mean, I guess about. it makes sense because yeah. you could have a boat. Yes. And you could need this info. Ex exactly. It's like traffic info. You need to be able to access yeah. that as well. But yeah, I don't know. I think just the whole concept of lighthouses is just also wonderful. I don't know. They're really beautiful architectural things. I have a yeah. whole uh, t shirt. I almost wore this t shirt today, but then I didn't. <laughs> The t-shirt of all the lighthouses in Finland. I don't know if it's all of them, but it's like nine or twelve, so it might be all of them. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then it says some like so it's a little picture of all of them yeah. and then it says where they're from. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So now I'm a little yeah. bit sad that I, I wore this buffy yeah. t shirt instead. Yeah. I it's uh, I one of my like uh, plan in the future if if it's to sort of maybe find a residency in a lighthouse that would be really something I'd like to do after yeah. this piece. That would be great. Um, so the reason also there is a lighthouse is that uh, the, the, this lighthouse illuminates the sea, of course. And, um, and yeah, it's uh, like it's a centerpiece. It's a centerpiece on the, on the pedestal. And um, this rotating light, um, like, shines light on uh, on the room but in particularly now on the opposite wall where there are these uh, printed uh, um, this laser engraved uh, large prints and uh, what what's on this uh, they are like three meters wide times um, 130 more or less and uh, these laser engravings are uh, two um, events that happened in the open Baltic Sea. Actually, I suggest let's go in yep. there and look at it. Yes. Uh, and then also we will move, because right now we are listening to two or three different soundscapes. Yes. And so now we will go and immerse ourselves in your work. Yep. Oh, and I will bring all my happy produce. Oh. I'm a friend this it is like bench has been like uh, click, 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 yeah, click, and, yeah and like when it's like compressed the sound a little bit it starts being quite loud yes. i just had it from another exhibition yeah. the same 
Okay, so. Nice, now we are inside your room here. Yeah, yeah. now we, we went through the membrane or we passed the armor, so we are inside close to the lighthouse. It's interesting how little visually it, it takes to create a membrane. Yeah, or, you know, indeed. That yeah. it's like because the gaps between these curtains and on the sides of them are quite large. It's not like we can see the room. Yeah. But it still feels like... Like we entered yeah. another space. It's a yeah. little bit like it only takes a scarf as a duvet if yeah. it's really warm, but I cannot, like if in a, in, in a really warm country, I need to have something over me. Like my mm -hmm. body feels unprotected yeah. if there's nothing. So a thin scarf will do the trick. It still feels like there is like something covering me. Yeah, 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 definitely. And um, so, yeah, yeah, now we... I will just maybe place this. Oh no, that's maybe loud. Maybe it does a bit. Maybe over maybe, here. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's also loud when I hold it in my hand. Yeah. Okay. And we're gonna be. Yeah, here. we need to talk to. Yes. Right? Yeah. So now the, the lighthouse actually now is doing this little pattern where it stops mm -hmm. and it does a little flash, then it moves again and does a little flash, and that happens every 12 seconds because that's the light characteristic of the lighthouse. It's a specific um, the period of that flashing. It's very precise. How did you choose this lighthouse? Because I so at. For this piece and to, for the creation of the engravings, I worked together uh, with a researcher from the Finnish Meteorological Institute who is an expert in wave modeling. And uh, so is a person who knows how um, sort of how to collect the data that are in this buoy that are in the in the sea and they collect information about the dynamics of the sea things like the speed of the sea the wind um, like the, how, how the waves are parallel to each other or are actually like spread in different direction so I, I worked with him and he said that this lighthouse would be actually the closest to the buoy where um, the data that we have been using have been collected. So that's why I targeted that in particular. So uh, what happened was that I was interested, like in many other works, to use uh, like scientific data to simulate and reconstruct like phenomena. And uh, it, of course I got very fascinated by events that happen in the sea also because of the theme, so that happened also by accident that there is this theme and so I, I went, okay, what, what do we know scientifically about the sea of what happened? I was also interested very much in the fact that we can maybe try to reconstruct, not just to use data to forecast what will happen, which of course is very important for meteorology, but it's also interesting to reconstruct events that we haven't witnessed ourselves. So through computation, through simulation, we can uh, construct also memories. So trying to give, uh, to create an image of something we haven't seen ourselves, but that gets somehow, gets flesh from the data that we have collected in the past. And like a happening or a memory that can seem like, in a way, insignificant because it's just like a drop in the ocean, basically, mm -hmm. like how a few waves have, have acted like, oh, then they touched in this moment or acted in this way. Yeah. In a way, it's like this memory was not for us or not 
to be seen or known, but yeah. then we can access it yes. somehow. Yeah. And you can visualize it, exactly. which is like a yeah. poetic narration somehow. Exactly. It, 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 I think that's a very good point you make, that it seems that it makes you, not this word, but just this idea makes you think about it, these events that don't happen for us, mm. like for humans. Like, like, and I, it, I think it's nice to, it's a bit uh, scary, but also liberating to think about that things happen independently from us mm. as a counter to all the things that actually we make happen, we are the cause of. So it's, it's, I think it's quite liberating to think storms will always happen. Yeah. Waves will always happen, with or without us. And I think it's, uh, it's not morbid, it just makes you think about the different scale of events. And most of what meteorological uh, like organizations or institutes they do is actually to not affect anything. Like mm. Most of what they do is just observe. Yeah. It's, the, it's these large-scale institutional networks that just like observe and document and predict, but not actually well okay some places in the world maybe they do change the weather and stuff but like generally <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> yeah. Gen generally we, we don't get to that yes in, indeed indeed and then uh, even pushing it f forward of course they have a political they also have a um, they provide evidence for political decision in some cases because this, this, this piece doesn't talk about this but if we think about all the signs that it's about actually monitor the quality of the Baltic Sea, that signs can give evidence to the way we are actually interfering what's, with what's happening and that can trigger decision made, making and uh, politics about it. Mm -hmm. So uh, not just they don't touch, but they also have a contribution. This understanding can have a contribution in minimizing or our impact. But indirectly, they just collect the, yeah. the evidence and yeah. then they bring that forth. Yeah. And then, like someone else. They provide the facts. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Greta would the say. Observations. Of yes, something. exactly. Yeah. It's, exactly. But, and, and still, I think here, if we can talk a little bit about the relation between the scientific like uh, mission and uh, maybe artistic gesture, it's really that. We, as artists, we have a need uh, to make those facts or these data somehow experiential and be like felt through our senses. And when we talk about it like this, I think that like meteorological institutions are like so poetic now. Wow, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. this beautiful poetry. Yeah. They just like sit out there in the middle of the ocean in their buoyancy. Well, of course not, but indirectly they have yeah. eyes where they yeah. just look at the waves and yeah. write down how many yeah. waves they saw today. Yes, or, exactly. That's what I said. very romanticized. I, and of course that's not like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, and, with and different glasses, it's different. <laughs> Of course, of course, it's uh, you know it's in our in our in our eyes in our gaze what what we see. But they it's quite I was quite surprised that for instance this uh, this researcher when I asked okay um, can we look at the data how would you interpret those data so uh, I was I was searching specifically storms that happened in the past 
so okay. so um, not any any data, but specific specific storms, spe specific storms that happen in the Baltic that Sea. That you already knew about. Yes, because I read about them. Okay. So uh, one of these engravings, this one is called Raphael, because and that happened in 2004. So while it's the a spe it's a specific exactly. <laughs> Uh, so it reached uh, like waves higher than eight meters, and that was recorded, I believe, uh, in 2004. So this is a frame that this image was made because it's a frame of uh, a computer simulation I made of uh, uh, waves, um, but fed with the data that at that specific moment uh, of the storm. So at a specific date, specific hour, specific minute, because I could get all the data from this scientist. How did you choose this time? Was that when the wave I saw the, the highest, data. Yes, or? yes, exactly. So we we said this is where basically the researcher have decided this was the moment that the way the storm was was at its highest. And then with the, the, this data are available to everybody, by the way. Yeah. You can also look at them, but then you will just get four numbers. Yeah, so I just want to ask, so a, how does it look when they show yes, you, are so, like, I want to know about Raphael. Yes, And then, exactly. like, how does Raphael so Raphael, Ra so, Raphael, from the point of view of the data, is presented on the website as a collection of, of four or five numbers, which is, of course, is a, I don't know, crazy reduction of a phenomena like you would think of a storm and then you get five numbers and also like the storm is so grand that you name it mm -hmm. um, so I don't know you yeah. personalize it in this yeah. way and then you reduce it to four five yeah. numbers because afterwards. those those this this dimension these quantities which is the the period of the wave so basically if it's a long wave or a short wave, the direction of the main wave, the, the average height of the waves, and a few other like esoteric things, like the directional so spread. you get a mathematical like XY or like a 3D? Mm. Not even that, because you just get what happened in one point. Okay, so our, but it's enough that you could translate it into it, a 3D... It, but it wasn't enough, clearly. No, the, okay. so, so, that's, so those data that are very reduced, like they are this distilled event in that point uh, in space and time, um, this, this bunch of data come actually from much more data that are not available for everybody because otherwise they would, they would be too many and people they don't make anything out of it. So I got, uh, and now we get a little bit mathematical, but it's just a very short, very short time. Um, <laughs> the frequent, like the uh, frequency spectrum of these waves, meaning like um, all the components at different frequency that sum up, if you sum all them up, they give you those numbers. So they tell you much more about things like uh, where the different waves were going because they are not going all in the same direction. The storm is a very, very messy, chaotic, yeah, yeah. Uh, super entropy thing. Um, so you get all the details of this event. So things, waves that are very long combined with waves that are short. In some how big an area? Um, this is in one point. This is because where the, buoy, the, where the buoy, okay. where the sensors are. So literally so, like where a person could stand. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So that, that's, that's a, a 
as far as we got. There are also other measurements that come more from radar, from sort of from the sky, satellite the satellite thing, thing but yeah, yeah. we didn't get into that. I, I, it was already quite challenging actually to say, hey, with all this frequency spectrum <laughs> kind of thing, how do we make an image out of this? What would be what would be the, the, the modeling that we apply to this data so that we would have a simulation and I can make something. So Did I started Did you know yeah, what I start, software you wanted to use? Yes, or? yes, but of course I had to code those things. I yeah. had to program the, the like how this data, like this bunch of numbers come together. I had a mathematical understanding, like roughly, because I studied this thing 20 years ago. Uh, when I studied electronic engineering, I was very fascinated in other kinds of waves, which are electromagnetic oh, waves. Yeah. So back in the days, I would have been very fast in this. Nowadays, I'm a bit more rusty. But the, with the guy, basically, I proposed certain things, and then he was saying, okay, this doesn't really make sense. Then we came up together in a way that we could actually create a simulation that, although not accurate, it was still uh, physically grounded in this data so that um, they would use all the data but then on top of that I would also add uh, a bit of artistic license in just making it look uh, as how I can imagine a storm. And also, isn't that also your like role? Because there is a difference to documentary and like art and mm. it can be the same but you are not the meteorologist you are not the scientist and mm. you don't have to deliver something that is like to scale or like of events the truth yeah. or correct or accurate because you were making an artwork that's like, that that's that's absolutely so absolutely like the, way the way vision way. or the aesthetics yeah. or the experience should take precedence it, it, yes um i want i think or for not me should, you know like uh, both, both, both aspects, for, for me it's important that yeah. both sort of no form of knowledge form of knowledge are there in the sense that I really want, I don't want to cheat on that, like I want to, because for me it's a process to actually learn about that event. Are you very uh, strict and, yes. uh, and rigorous? Yeah, with your concepts and yes. stuff? Okay, yes, yeah. yes. I think it's an ongoing battle in myself because <laughs> I think I used to be very ritualistic about my concepts in a way that it was very important if I decide on a conceptual method or like a rule set, then this dogma of it becomes like crucial. Mm -hmm. But then later, I don't know, I've had these moments where it's like, yeah, but then the work wants to do something else. Like mm -hmm. the material wants me to do something else with it. And that feels like right in other ways. Or yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, ideally the, the, in, in, there is not fight like in, in, in between those two in the, in the work you make. Uh, so that I think there is the, the entry point is this very numerical, computational database. And, and that's the, you just dip your toes and you try to make sense. You try to basically understand the language they are used to describe a phenomena. And that takes you to a certain point, mm -hmm. and then from that point onwards, where you actually give flesh to this data, then you you explore what the material makes you do, what your subjectivity makes you do. And you start making decisions. And you start making a lot of decisions. But 
ideally it doesn't corrupt that other knowledge. It mm -hmm. just goes on top or it mingles together so you can see both. Because it's, I think it's really about a subjective way of making sense of something. Yeah, there is no rule. Like there is yeah. no, like for some people one... There is no like, recipe. No, exactly. And also for different people, the different aspects are like what matters or uh, the right way. Yeah, I think it's maybe like not that it's yeah this kind of tension or this like questioning that you have to stop halfway and see like oh, what actually feels right for me now which way should i go with this material i think that's uh, a really interesting part of the process to be in if yes. you can somehow trust your own way enough that you can do it and feel good about it absolutely no matter what yeah. how it is and i think it's nice that you mentioned like tension itself <laughs> because i think it, it's a very good sign if there is tension because it means that this other system of knowledge, this other form of knowledge through artistic gesture, it somehow is adding something to what was known from before. So the, the, there is tension because you are actually extending what you understand of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's a, it's a good sign if there is no war but there is just that tension. I think that's really, that's really, I think, you're on the good track, like yeah. it's something I, I aim for, <laughs> definitely. And um, I mean, that's also how you say that you start a project, you say like, I have interest in these storms, and then you start looking, researching, going through the data, the material, you figure out what's available, and then you get inspired maybe to branch out or yeah. zoom in or change something, yeah. because yeah. something else it's amazing on the way and you discover this treasure yes somehow exactly and, and you get surprised how and uh, was surprised how sort of reductive is this and you not because it's uh it wants to be reductive but it, this scientific approach it in any way it cannot it cannot be else than very reductive of a phenomenon because it's because you cannot just capture it fully. But there and is a right and a wrong way. Hmm? There is a right and a wrong way. In yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. There is, there is, there is. There is but even, even, <laughs> even, even if, if in this case, if it would be done, uh, you know, at, at your best, uh, you just cannot cannot get there. And so, I think for me to to see where like how far computation can go and what what cannot be computed and belongs to uh, really this um, realm of subject subjectivity is what I, I really want to explore. So this layer that you have added in the, the, the layer Exactly, exactly. And how things feel and how, and how subjective it's something so universal in a way or general as uh, the movement of the of waves. Do you think if more data would have been available or if the computational processes would have allowed you to do it more uh, accurate or complete, would you have gone that way? Like, or would you still have liked to take this creative freedom? On, I, I, I think even if it would be sort of perfect simulation, there would be still this gap and tension with what's not computable. There is, there is always going to be something to be explored, uh, either because it comes from, you know, un unconscious, our unconscious, or just because it comes from the moment you move from a simulation on a computer on a screen 
to like presenting it through materials. So there, there are always yeah, process yeah. of translation. It's, it's, there is nothing, there is not such a thing as, you know, digital media once you present them. There is always a moment of translation through a material, being a screen or engraving or whatever. And from the beginning, you might have data about like how cold the water was, hmm. but you can't really translate that onto the computer screen, at least not yet, maybe in 10 years. Yeah. But, uh, and, and like how wet was it? Yeah. How wet, you know how much salt there is in the water, yeah. but how much are you floating if you were there in the storm? These things can't really yeah, yeah. be translated through the software now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the experience of the measured quantity is not the measured quantity in a way. There is always that difference, like how relevant it is for a human, that, that number. Yeah, I mean, also no one experienced it. Yeah, so, so yeah, like, yeah. No even more, even more, it. exactly, but even more, yeah. Let's go a little bit more yeah. into the technical details about yeah. them, because now um, what we're looking at is like papers with laser engravings. Laser engraved papers. So they are very like minimalistic uh, wall pieces, but are these stills from a moving Simulation? Yes, yeah. So what, what I was saying before that the idea sort of changed was that initially I, I wanted to present this Raphael to, from 2004. Tony is called 2017. Okay, this is on the opposite wall. Yeah. Uh, I was, um, when I made the sort of floor plan, I was a bit sketching. I thought there would be two video projections on the opposite wall where you actually see the simulation so running. Like um, an okay. animated video? Yes, so they, I have the computer simulation make, make a video which is um, as this, uh, it looks as uh, quite like realistic, but of course not completely. Uh, it's more like a in movement painting of uh, these storms. Yeah, it's more like a mural engraving and it's like the paper almost blends into the wall and then it's just this, um, the engraving just makes it look like someone has like drawn shadow in like a brownish color yeah. or something, but it's yeah. very minimalistic and it's very subtle. Yeah, it's, it's quite subtle, but so I decided not to present it as projection of the animation. Uh, Mainly because of the space. I was thought, the animation really aggressive compared to this? Because of course these stills are really tranquil in a way, even though it's the climax of yes, the storm. Yes, it's quite. It's um, yeah. It really gives the sense of, of of a storm. Once they are in movement, I didn't even feel really the power because of this kinesthesia uh, that you know how, how much things gets moved in time. So it, it, there is a different perception. While this is, it's really like this snapshot, like to say, it was that. Uh, that, that I think is a bit uh, the gesture, to take a snapshot, like uh, make, uh, so, but I, I think it was a very material constraint while I didn't do Did that because, uh, no, here? I decided not to do it because I thought it would be, it would be too much for Already this space. Two projectors yeah, like opposite would, of each other is very busy with yeah, the light happening. It, it would be very much. I think the space is not big enough. I also felt that it was a bit unbalanced. It was too much for the group exhibition, yeah. uh, and I thought 
let's let's reduce for this. Let's. I mean, I like the idea of going into a secluded small room where you are like in the eye of two storms, and you can almost maybe get seasick from yeah. being just like washed yeah. over with these light waves. Yeah. I, I do like the idea, but I I agree, maybe not in this exactly. Space. So that that was the in a black box. Yeah. Or so that that will come. That will oh, come uh, nice. in in, uh, in in January, but there there will be uh, much more space in. Uh, yeah, I think now I can say because it's confirmed we will have this exhibition in uh, in the new Huto space in the large uh, and there that sort of elongated room really I think allows to um, to actually present also the animation the actual simulation. So will you have also the curtains in the lighthouse? There, there, there would. They will be like house slash lighthouses, okay. and um, they will be. Um, Emma will produce a sculpture that might not have this form, uh, more like curtains, like hanging from the ceiling. It might. I think we have been talking about like a sculpture that has a little bit different shape. It will be more like a three-dimensional. But still, with the but paper still, materials? Yes, still paper materials, stimulate process. Is that why you chose to use this like very raw paper on the walls mm. also, so yes. that it would match? Yes, a, a bit, being a bit consistent also with the materials that have been used. And also, I, I thought it would be very nice for once to, to go very analog, because in a way this is pretty analog uh, I mean, analog in the way that you have uh, coded and programmed yeah. yes. these numbers into a animated 3D animation yeah. video and then programmed and asked a very complex laser engraver machine to, to then make it yes. analog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So uh, a hybrid uh, digital analog process, but uh, in the end, the matter, like the, it's, um, it could be a drawing, it's a drawing on paper, so. And it's interesting because this look, like this kind of, um, well, when I say raw paper, I mean it's just like art paper that is not bleached and or semi-bleached, right? I don't know. And then this like very organic brownish shadow line feeling. It's is so dry. Like in a way, for me, this medium is like it's very dry. And yeah. So yeah, to to encapsulate water right, uh, right. Yeah. in this like the driest medium possible is really interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It, it, it is, um, and it, for me it's also like, uh, in a way, um, it's an experiment for myself because, to be honest, I don't think I ever presented fixed, uh, like, like printed matter or fixed media work, uh, so I was extremely stressed uh, in producing those engravings. Uh, but first of all, because there is a technical challenge to produce an image that is so large. Yeah, like, so uh, each of these are com like six pieces of paper combined. How big is each paper? It's uh, almost, um, um, it's a bit less than one meter times uh, 60 centimeters. Is it one or something? Uh, no, it, maybe a little bit less. It's basically what the, the machine uh, Afford the maximum, uh, the maximum uh, with more, more or less, um, and so to create an image that it's you know more than one hundred thousand pixel times something, it's um, it was a new workflow. 
like uh, for me like okay. instead of creating something that runs real time as an animation versus it doesn't matter if it's very slow it just needs when i wanted to create that image a little bit like a 3d rendering program like blender but i was doing that software myself so it was a bit challenging technically and then it was so hard to um in a way decide the image because i was looking at the simulation It's one microsecond of this yeah exactly how long uh, was the simulation i mean the, the simulation goes on forever and forever with the, the data from until you switch on the computer off the computer so it doesn't loop no it doesn't loop because it's real time it just creates this thing starting from this uh, hundreds of noisy texture that uh, have been fed with the data from the Finnish Meteorological Institute. So it's an ongoing improvised chaos? Yes. But not really improvised? No, but kind of... not repeatable, like repeatable, so that you would always say, give me uh, the simulation after five minutes, it will look exactly the same. And this is, it's a bit technical, but that's because the noise that it's used uh, in computer simulation, it's just pseudo noise. So it has a seed meaning that it's repeatable. So the same noise with a certain seed, um, it looks exactly the same. And this is a technique that it's using computer graphics, so that things are organic, but also repeatable. Um, is that to like save pixels and make it like... Uh, no, it's just because it's really, it's, um, it, it, it's useful to have something that looks messy, but you can still control it, so you can go back to that. So that's a practical thing. Um, and uh, because it's not really random random but it's actually made of many many smooth sh um, shapes combined together mm -hmm. so when we look for instance at textures uh, like from uh, non-man-made textures from nature from when we observe you know Um, exactly, something like that. We see that you know things are really, um, or like we say, organic. Like that's the adjective. Mm -hmm. But actually, they have patterns. Like they are not completely. There is not such a thing as random itself. Oh, yeah. So they they, they yeah, have yeah. a they have a beauty in the fact that they seem very free to articulate themselves. But there is a logic, a visual logic you when find you look the at them. Exactly, exactly. And there is something there that's really with our brain that we like. There is that harmony, but still uh, in an uncontrolled uncontrolled way. So this pearly noise, uh, it, it's something that tries to emulate that. And these images are made of a cascade of a lot of these uh, pseudo noises, uh, but uh, with the characteristic given by the data. So you took data from one second, like one moment, still moment one of a moment, storm. Exactly. And then you turned it into an everlasting moment. Yeah of movement like that the moment lasts forever it never yeah. stops it, it never stops like the, it's the, almost it's, the storm it's, is the storm, it, exactly forever. the storm is climaxing because when you, this data talks about anyway speed of waves mm -hmm. like the speed at that moment so if you just let the simulation run that wave is will be passing by and this for all the waves that concur in the creation of the storm. So I can simulate that moment, as you said, forever and ever. You have created the perfect storm. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is always the Eternal climax. Eternal climax, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but here, yeah, wow. it's exactly. 
but uh, again, this, this, this moment was new to me to, the, to say, this is the image, like to make that decision. Yeah, it to was so to take a still. But all the stills look like each other. Yeah, well, anyway. uh, yeah, they, they, they look alike, it's still the same storm, yeah. but, but it's, um, you know, when you take a photograph, you don't have that luxury that you can actually roll back and, 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 uh, and sort of take it, take it again. I mean, it's a technique I have used a lot with my smartphone if I wanted to photograph while I was in movement, so mm -hmm. like out of a car or a bus that's driving or something, and it's like if the movement is far, fast enough or like bumpy enough or something, you know, you can't take a, a proper still. It's no. really, so what you can do is you can take a video and then you can take stills from the video afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. that is what I have done with my smartphone since yeah. a decade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the difference that in that case it's different frames, they are different moments in time. And that's what I mean, that's why it's difficult to, because you have like a never-ending climactic storm, so like it's one moment that repeats, but not repeats, so in a way it is all the same. It's not, but it's yes. not the same as like choosing a still for promotional value yeah. from a feature film. Maybe it's a bit like this, um, how do you say, parallel universe kind of thing, you know? Like it's it's the same moment, but they all look different because yeah, you know you can like see the twilight well. zone. Yeah, exactly. But uh, anyway, yeah, it, it's hard when you need to decide which image is the image. So it did feels, you decide like twenty and then? Uh, down yeah, and I had I had very long nights at okay. that point. Yeah, <laughs> Just looking at yeah, still the exactly. Almost with, the same. <laughs> with the with the other like problem that I face is that anyway you see these images on us. Screen, which anyway, as large as it can be, it's still uh, you know an, a, a small image, yeah. and then you sort of need uh, um, to predict what this process of translation will do. So what happens when the image gets much more large, and what happens to the image when it gets laser engraved? Because of course it doesn't have uh, the same kind of quality. It has a very specific quality. What were the colors and the characteristics on the screen? On on the screen, I, in a way, I stick to grayscale. Okay. And there is also like uh, in the simulation, there is also one light. Uh, to cast the shadows, so you know, like that's why you see differences in the in the colors. But the screen, um, of course, it has. Uh, if I will show you the the digital images, they are they are really delicate in the sense that the dynamic range is huge. So you can really see like shadows that are really really uh, like a, um, how do you say very delicate lines. So that's you have very to strong. Right? I I had to simplify, or in a way, it's the laser engraving itself that simplifies for you because it yeah. just wouldn't sure. render that. So that's yeah. a little bit. Uh, it's a it's a bit suffering like process because in a way you start with such a like you start with an image that has so much information. And then it gets a little bit reduced or translated differently. But that's because the depth in this kind of engraving is different. It's more of a contour sketch and not like yeah, not like a, a photo or exactly. like a, a like a print printed yeah. printed photo. So that's also there. I had to do quite many experiments. Like of course, not a crazy amount because you know paper is expensive and the the, the, the engraving takes a lot of time. How long so, time does one? A piece uh, like one, tile hour, one, tile, one, one tile, and this is I, I had to go with the lowest resolution because I was running out of time. Like quite literally, it's one hour and a half. 
So, so, so that means nine hours per neural here, yeah, so 18 hours in total. Yeah. And this is like once you actually know the settings and have decided exactly. and they are correct. So how so, many mistakes or trial runs? Uh, so I did a lot of them, uh, of sort of, I used like just tribes to make like tests. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. do the whole image so that I could maybe focus in places where there was that huge dynamic range and try to figure out at least for that parts. Um, Which is how you do with all sorts of printing, analog in the dark room or mm -hmm. digital, you do two strips and then you check the light settings. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. too expensive to of keep course. making big ones. Of Absolutely. So I went through the same process and then at certain point I said, okay, with the time I have, uh, with this kind of resolution, I, I think that's, that's what I'm going to use. Um, so, and this is, uh, yeah, so this is the, the result. But, yeah, yeah, if people want to know more about this kind of like laser engraving on, on paper, there is also the episode with Etovicki and Corin uh, Mustunen, episode number, is it maybe 21, I think? Yeah, because Eto has made a series of, 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 yeah, of laser, laser engraved really. paper works. But yeah, in this installation that I interviewed him about, he had good light behind them. Did you consider installing them in a different way or did you always know they were going to be on the white wall? I, I, I wanted, so something that I tried but is uh, in here, but uh, also I, it wasn't really working, was not to have them attached to the, to the, to the wall. But uh, having uh, like suspended in the air, not suspended, but just having this, this is something we have been doing with a previous uh, exhibition to have uh, like some long screws so that they would a little bit pop out uh, oh, and create yeah. a bit of the foreground background because I think that would be beneficial also because there is the light shining on top. So I, maybe it would have been nice that they are less integrated but more like an object in itself. A bit of a distance. And actually, that's a really good trick for hanging your printed works without making holes in them mm -hmm. or putting glue or tape. Yeah. Because, like, what do you do if you don't frame it? Like, so if you put like nails or something in the wall and then with small magnets, yes. you can that, hang your works. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I realized quite quickly though because we, we were like, we had two days to set all things up and a bit less actually that it was. Quite, um, it was quite hard to, to, to because you need to tile them quite precisely. And they're heavy, these papers, right? They are a bit heavy, so it's a work that you really need two people to do at the same time. Um, but you need to plan very well, of course, the grid of, of the screws, and then you can put, put the magnets. One thing I didn't want also, I didn't want to put the magnets in front of the paper for this because I, I was afraid they would a bit break the tiling yeah, yeah, of, of sure. the thing. It works so, better if it's the smaller photo print or something. Yeah, yeah, if it's one one yeah, one thing it works very well. But, but but definitely putting the magnets like actually behind the end the screw. Mm -hmm. Um these are these are three hundred grams paper, so they are a bit heavy. So you need quite a lot of magnets. You need quite and a lot of magnets. Uh, maybe you can use this tape that it's removable. That yeah. it's removable. So there you need to be a little bit careful. Yeah, but if you're right, it's hard to line up. It's quite hard yeah. to line because the, the the screws are very long, so it's really hard uh, 
uh, it's, it's not an easy job to be precise and also go straight because then they need to align with the and grid. And something hanging with tape and magnets and screws, like there's a lot of like things that can slip a little bit yeah, during yeah. an exhibition I mean, period. You need, to, you need to reserve, I think, yeah. very much time to do it and do it properly, but, uh, but yeah. So what did you end up with now? They're just taped or...? Yeah, there is, I'm using this tape that I didn't know from before I did a bit of research. It's this tape that um, it's, uh, mm. it's used, uh, it's a double-sided tape that it, it doesn't leave marks because you then stretch it from the bottom yeah. and then it really... Is it this uh, transparent, very thick? Uh, it's a very thick, so exactly. I think it's called nanotape, but also uh, it's... Uh, I have used it to, to tape glass. Hmm. I don't know if you remember my glass wall in, uh, sculpture in Exlab Gallery. Right. Where I was like projecting uh, like video through it, so it became this like glass... Like yeah, I think empty so. glass jars. Okay, and there you were having... Like, these, do you have pickles in and stuff? So a hundred yeah. of those or something, yeah. I built a wall and I used this tape okay, for to, the to structure it, to build it. Okay. Because it looked actually more invisible and better than using silicone. Yeah. And, you know, all this epoxy glue and silicone and stuff, it takes like 48 hours to cure. It's yeah. really... And when you have to put like a hundred glasses together, yes. but this tape is wonderful. Yeah, it and is. also you can like remove it and reuse the yes. glasses, and I rebuilt yeah. it again like a, a year later. Yeah, and, and it's very strong. And then I, I super strong. I even yeah. have had it outside, and like the rain was okay. It was the sun that in the end made it fall apart. Okay. But I had it outside for like yeah. in the end it was just like it's, dying outside. It's really good and um, for like for you know when you want to attach things vertically and then i saw that you can have it there they have a little bit different technology depending on how heavy it's what you need the to put the gorilla one is the best okay yeah okay right <laughs> uh i i trust you on that <laughs> um but also one thing is that uh, this paper is very um uh, is this um uh, it's very coarse is it like honey yes yeah. So it's very coarse, so it's not ideal. You can see I'm still using it, but it's better for a bit um, smooth, like smoother, flat surfaces. But is this ideal for the laser engraver, though, or like, this kind of paper? Yeah, or I think in this paper, I I I I choose it because uh, you can get a little bit more dynamic range with this. Like mm -hmm. it has it. It, it has a little bit more agency as a paper in the sense that anyway it's less constraints. It has, uh, because it's thick? Because it's thick. So the laser engraver can do more because you of Because you, you remove more material. It can take more mm -hmm. engraving. Uh, so that was, that, that was one criteria. And uh, I've been, of course, when Ed was working for his, his like uh, his, um, Kuvankeva, um, of course, like we were going through like the, the different setting and experiments, so I, I would follow so his practice and I uh, got a bit of recommendation from him. So you have like uh, been looking over the shoulder and taking notes? Well, <laughs> well I, I, yeah, I think we have very open processes yes, at no, the Arden no, Lab. Way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, maybe for the listener who doesn't know, like Roberto is uh, teaching at my school, the Fine Arts uh, Academy in Helsinki, and uh, part of running this uh, 
technological lab kind of yes, like art and technology. Art and technology lab. Yeah. yeah. So there we have also machine for digital fabrication, including also the the, the laser cutter. So if I wanted to do a laser cut work, I I would go to Roberto and ask like how do yes. we start? Yes. <laughs> yes. And I will answer to, to that as as and, good as I can. And you, for those who don't know what laser engraver is, you could have engraved this on like any kind of material, basically. That well, you, you need to, uh, like, of course, uh, like, yes and no, in the sense that, of course, metal, certain kind of metals you would have done, wood you would have done, uh, but you need to avoid certain kind of plastic because of how, like, you, you need to be sure that the material, because it gets burned, it doesn't have toxic emission. Oh, yeah. So you cannot so just go. That it doesn't uh, melt. Yeah, it doesn't melt, and because it, it basically it's it's toxic. What what comes out? Yeah. And also the the how do you say the the wood that we use, uh, it's made with certain glues uh, mm -hmm. and not whatever kind of glue possible, because otherwise it's it's bad. And so that's why we get this brown tonality in the shadows that's actually just like the color of burnt paper it's the color of burnt paper and of course you might have a little bit different tone depending on the setting okay. you use in terms of power speed uh, that you use for the machine to do the job mm -hmm. and so when you said that you like program the software yourself you might have some listeners who are very technical and would like to have like a short run through of this coding or yeah. programming you yeah. have done. So you had all these numbers and then what, what software have you used? Yeah, uh, I've been using now for quite some time uh, uh, Touch Designer as a like, programming environment uh, and it's node-based programming environment, meaning that what you code or you program, you don't do necessarily through scripting, like, like writing code, but by connecting boxes like that achieve different functionalities. Virtual cables. Virtual cables. Yeah. Cable. So you really have this idea that you have some input, which could be sound or video or numbers, goes through like this box that does something with this material, could be a filter, a filter of different kind, etc. And then something comes out. And then you start just chaining all this and branching all these different modules. So it's, it's a different, it's a visual way to uh, create a system or to program up behavior. Yeah, it's like Max, MSP or other... And for everyone who doesn't really grasp what we're talking about, when we say boxes, it's still just happening on a computer screen. Yeah. But the difference is that it's not the long line of like gibberish uh, language that mm -hmm. is visualized as like a square, maybe, or like a, a, like an, a, like a box or like, something. Yeah. And then yeah. you can like actually draw like a cable to another box, box and you know yeah. that this box has this it's more like lego mm. it's instead of like writing the lego recipe you just like collect the pieces somehow yeah, yeah. indeed indeed and i think it's something and now we start seeing also in for instance in video editing maybe some people that uh, <laughs> listen Did we have a touch to sign a course where i yeah, I was thinking about, for instance, that, that, like DaVinci Resolve, which is some, mm -hmm. some software that many people nowadays use. When you do color grading, you actually connect notes that mm -hmm. do different things. Also there, there is this similar, um, um, actually very much the same 
um, metaphor or for, for programming where you have your image goes through you know, a filter that adjusts the brightness, then that goes into another filter that does something else. I think for people who work a lot with hardware setups, like actual machines in a space and actual cables, this kind of programming is more intuitive. Or at least for me, I learned a lot about my cable runs in a sound studio yeah. and with uh, worldwide software, but also with actual hardware effects. Yeah. So like connecting the EQ and the compressor as machines and then yes. to the computer. And then when something doesn't work, you have to physically follow a cable run through a whole room yeah. through five different machines to figure out where it's broken or where is it wrongly connected. And so for me, this kind of program yes. is it's definitely alive. more logical sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if I think present people like um, um, playing guitar and having like uh, pedal effects. Exactly. It's very, very similar. Each pedal is a bit this box we were talking about yeah. and then and you the have... And the different order makes them react differently to each other. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So, so that's the place where I was uh, programming the, this thing. And um, um, another thing I like about this uh, environment is also that I can still uh, write code and I can use Python inside it because sometimes, you know, replicating a lot of times many, many boxes, like one of the aspects of computation I like is that you can decide a very simple behavior, yeah, but then kind of suddenly, suddenly you can just say, hey, make this happen 1000 times in parallel. Like, so you can work with complexity um, when, when, when you code, when you program, uh, quite easily if you can actually script it. And you can also work in different levels of skill, like, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. You can maybe just keep your thought with the, with the Python just to do something that it would be very cumbersome, but you can mm. still use the visual boxy uh, side of things for, for other stuff. And um, in, my, in my case, it, it, what we decided to do was today basically uh, um, textures made of this uh, noise that I was mm -hmm. talking about and um, I have maybe between 50 and 70 of that and the characteristic of each of these noise comes from the data from the spectrum that was measured by the researchers so then I just had to um, sum, sum up all these different noises that were the components of the wave and then let the noise uh, like change over time by using this translating thing according to the different speeds, the different phase, the different direction of those waves. And so did you know how it was going to look? Did you know how you wanted it to look and kind of knew how to achieve that? Or I, I knew, I knew, I was confident. I was confident also <laughs> that uh, it would, it would look, it would anyway look like moving waves because also in the past I've been creating wave-like movement using noise. So I, from before, I knew how to sort of make up something that looks like. Uh, a storm or the sea moving. Like I knew, I knew that starting from there, I would have reached a look that reminds that. What it wasn't clear is how do 
I combine this uh, crafting knowledge that I have with uh, the scientific knowledge of the data. What, where, where is the like? Uh, where should I put those data inside this animation? I was able to make it, and that's where the, the scientists came in place to try to find together where these two things can come together. So I knew that it could look like as I wanted, but I didn't know. Uh, how, in which way would be informed by the data that the, that the scientists gave me. And uh, to add this, after I put all those data, what happened is that it didn't look so much as a storm, it just looked like sea moving in a certain way. But I didn't have that uh, um, sort of de detailed and uh, sort of forced uh, aggressivity that you expect from... You were uh, underwhelmed. I was underwhelmed because it was very mellow. And then I told with the scientists, I, I think I got, Victor, I think I got it right. I think we have it, but as expected, it's, it's pretty mellow. Was that it? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. And, 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 and then, we, of course, we were discussing, this is not surprising because the, the details that we can see, like if we have a, you know, a shot from above of the sea where we see foam, where we see, a lot of crack, like like crackling of the waves. All this, uh, you know, really engraved. Uh, like it, it's like a sculpture, meticulously made sculpture. Th those finer details will never be captured by the sensor at the buoy. We just don't have enough resolution for that. Yeah. So, to, to from the general behavior that was correct because it was coming from the data, I added this crafting on top. Uh, that will give me the sense that okay, this is actually this is strong. This is this is this is really complex. I added complexity on top of that. Maybe it's a little bit the same as um, within like sound design or special effects visually and stuff. That there is like the reality of how something is, like the actual data or how something looks or sounds or whatever. And then there is the human expectation to how something like that should look or sound or mm -hmm. be. And so often these things need to be exaggerated or actually they have been like synthesized or exaggerated so many times that our expectations are tweaked from reality. Yeah. Yeah. That we know how a storm looks, not because we have been in the middle of the ocean, no. but because we have seen movies of storms and yeah. so we have, very this, hyper. we have this idea of yeah. the waves crashing and maybe yeah. that's not how it actually yeah it, 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 actually i saw videos from youtube of the okay, largest yeah, so storm it is, like it, it is like that it is crazy it, it is massive it's just that that kind of detail that crashing of the waves that that continuous fight among different bodies of water it's cannot it's not in the data there is not enough it's almost like i would make you listen to a very uh, because you are also into sound if i would low pass uh, so much like a musical composition so much that um, you know it sounds either very boxy or it just sounds it, it sounds it, it misses details because it doesn't have these high frequencies or maybe it's how you can actually never capture a sunset and a photo like you can't really hmm. capture the actual beauty of it it's yeah. just not it doesn't translate through yeah it the doesn't events, translate you know? it's, yeah so maybe like the storm and yeah. the waves it's yeah. a little bit like this chaos we just we yeah. don't have the means to really 
uh, save it. And yeah. in a way, that's quite beautiful, I think. Yeah. Also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to imagine it. Yeah, we cannot easily go modify also that. No, so yeah, exactly. So yeah. It's, it's we a try, good thing. But yeah, 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 yeah. But we have to, to call it still like, yeah, I took artistic license or freedom. Yes. I just noticed here in the window uh, pane or, or side here that the paint is like uh, crackling or uh, like almost falling off in these big hands. Uh, it, it mimics the engraving of the words okay, quite yeah. nice. Okay, <laughs> nice, yeah. nice, okay. It's good to know. Let's, can we take a look at the time? Yeah. I think it's half past four. Okay, I need to be in Hakaniemi in half an hour, so let's wrap up in a way. Mm -hmm. um, we can talk about the sound and we close it. Yeah, I want to talk about the sound and then I want to just like zoom back out a little bit for you, a moment. Yeah. But so, yeah, there's a lot of sound. Maybe I will just do this quick thing where I like let the recorder record the little yeah. bit sound sources. I'll, How? Stay, I, I'll stay, I'll, I'll shut up then. Or... <laughs> you shut up? Yes. No, um, how many speakers are there? There are five speakers. Small speakers. There are the small speakers, yeah. So there, I, I, I wanted to do something, uh, I wanted to build the speakers for once. Yeah, you built them yourself? Yes, yeah, 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 I built them themselves. They are super simple. They're, again, just laser cut pieces of, uh, of plywood and then they are passive speaker with very low power. Um, I really didn't want to use any computer for this installation for practical reason, like that it was just uh, uh, So it's an aesthetic choice with paper yeah, and ex stuff? Exactly, I think it would have, it, it would have made sound that, and of course the sound that comes out from these custom speakers is, you know, it's not like a uh, very not natural, they are not very neutral sounding speaker, they are not the usual general. And also they're very small, so you can't yeah. really have the ba the so very, much bass. So much bass, exactly. No. Um, and then I also, but this is just technical, I, I built just this multi-channel MP3 player, so it would be standalone uh, um, uh, also for, me, for other works. Which looks more like a computer because it has pink light emitting from I know, the... I know. Uh, I'm, I'm not super happy about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it is also encapsulated in wood, yeah? So, oh yeah, uh, a bit of electronics uh, down here. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, so this is very handy that the, the lid is transparent, mm -hmm. so you actually see if things are working out. Yeah. But it's a bit distracting, so I put this, but there is a little bit of glow coming out. And I was a little bit lazy to sort of just uh, uh, remove all that. Do the speakers play different sound or is they it the same? They play different sound, but the material is very similar. So. What what we hear from the different speakers, it should a bit appear maybe like sound of waves or like some something a little bit chaotic happening, and um, it it sometimes is a little bit more harsh and sometimes a little bit more quiet, but. Yeah, it does get this more discant sound from the speakers. But yeah. I will like go a little round and like record some of the speakers close up. Yeah.
are the bird sounds from this one or from a different world? From outside. It's just the model who makes that sound. It's uh, it, it is what it is, you know, like. Yeah. And it's three uh, D printed. Yeah, yeah. I made the the the, the design and then and then I three D printed the different parts. Uh, it's nice that you said that it sounds like paper mm. the, because it's actually recordings of Emma drawing on paper the yeah. images I send it to her. So she recorded them on different materials and then she sent me all the files and I like just, the waves she yeah, them. So, yeah. Wow. so she, she was I sent them some images I was creating and then she was sort of just uh, almost performing them through the act of drawing so I think wow. that uh, and then that, that's a little, very typical of the way we work that I gave her some output of the, the process, then she works with that and she gives it back to me and then I, I work it and I, I made it into the, the sound installation. So just like ongoing uh, dialogue between materials and techniques. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So verbal and non-verbal kind of dialogue. And also the us. whole thing is about translation, right? Like yes. That you have the same material and you just translate it through so many different processes and uh, things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, thinking already about the fact that, you know, she's Finnish and I'm Italian and we speak in English, like, we always pass through processes of translation, it's just a matter of acknowledging that. So all the sounds are... From paper. From Emma drawing on paper. Drawing on paper. Drawing these stills. Uh, Drawing images from from these two things, not this specifically, but uh, like images that looks like that. So some they have like very large gestures and sometimes they are more the detailed. Then they just edit it together. There is a bit of LFO shaping so that sometimes we go a little bit underneath, sometimes we go a little bit up. But very, very little sound processing, just a bit of editing. But it's, yeah, okay, because it sounds 
at first you're like, wow, what is that? Is that a heavy EQ filter mm -hmm. on something? Yes. Because, sir. you know, it can also have the sound of like someone tweaking a sound a lot yeah. digitally. And yeah. then yeah. you get these like uh, yeah. super yeah. Uh, alien filtered sounds. Yeah, I think there is a bit of, the, it, it, there is a sweeping filter so that they give space to each other and you have mm -hmm. this in and out. Um, also, it's, they are filtered in a way that, as you said, it would be useless to try to give any bass to that, of course, to the speakers because they are small. But uh, also, um, I think a lot comes from just using different um, drawing on different material like mm. paper. With different uh, yeah, drawing so material. It, exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's not necessarily the same paper, but it could be on wood and it could be like an hard on a hard surface uh, and you do a large mm. gestures it sounds sure. more like so there but there is also that there is a little bit of digital processing and also just by byproduct of different materials working together well it is a media installation exactly it is so, yeah. it is it is it's allowed it, did any of these drawings make it to her paperwork that are hanging here no that as that that direction didn't happen okay. yet Hey, actually, no. It oh. is. It is. <laughs> oh, We're yes. moving to the other you're side so of the curtain. You're so good, Senor. And now we just <laughs> need you. to find it. Because that wasn't the plan. But then one, dro uh, one dropped, because it's quite delicate and it was quite a challenge to put it up there. Okay. So we need to find the uh, and this is completely, oops, this is completely sort of by accident because um, when, when we were hanging it, one zip ties failed and then this thing went down. You know, this thing that happens yeah, yeah, when, course, you, yeah. when you are... And then you're like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're already stressed then, you know, <laughs> accident. hours but, of delicate work but, on the floor. <laughs> but then I had one spare one that I was using just for test. Okay, so and it's then, a patch. Um, it's a patch. It's a patch. Aha. Yeah. But this is an engraved one. This yeah. is this is this is a piece of one of those styles. Exactly. Ah, nice. yeah. But I think that's good to have like a little Easter egg there. Yes, it yeah. is, it is, it is. And actually I think the, the sound from the lighthouse it's uh, it matches really well. Yeah. And it's nice then I don't know if the listeners realized when we were talking, but I was thinking a lot about it then when it stops when it has these like two seconds of stopping yeah you hear all the other sounds like yeah much more loud or clearer and yeah. so yeah yeah this idea of the shared acoustic space is another interesting topic which my thesis is quite a lot about but okay. uh, yeah but which is happening here with multiple works and stuff yes yeah exactly Exactly. So, but it's really coherent, your work, like together and like the whole installation. It's really like, it, I think, conceptually and like a material or aesthetical. Thanks. Like it's really a tightly knit somehow. Okay. That, that's yeah. very nice to hear. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, of course, also if you have this like exchange process, because it is different works, no? Like... It's two works that are like made to work together. Yes, but you, but we like you don't touch Emma's paper process. No, or, I, no, yeah. it might, it might, it might happen if I'm there and then we do something together. But for instance, for this, we we very much decided and sort of say, oh, I'm gonna do this, you're gonna do that, and this part we're gonna do together, like the sounds. And of course, she was sending me 
you know, photos like what do you think? Oh, like, yeah, shall yeah, I use shall I, shall I use maybe these images from this book? And I would say, I think maybe maybe this not because it would be a little bit push the work to another direction. Mm-hmm. So certain decisions uh, we we do a bit together, but of course one takes really um, the how do you say take takes care or um, the of of the creation of, of the work. You have different like skill sets right yeah also of course it's uh, yeah so you have different techniques and and these things they take hundreds of hours like each yes. of the works so it's yeah. also if you would have to do them together like i yeah i don't no. know it's no. a lot of work is really hard to share it, i find also yes. something like programming by a computer it's not so easy to collaborate up around a computer screen. No, 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 no. And uh, I think any way you would do it, you know, if, we, if I think of a software house where they do it professionally, anyway, they wouldn't sit side by side programming together. It would be such a remote experience. Yeah. So not even fun to do it together. <laughs> but um, of course, like touching together materials and really say to me, it feels like that you use this, this image resonates more than another those are it's really nice to do it together but the crafting can also be and i think it's also very good because it's the spirit of also like co-creation that somehow you trust the other person and you want to also be a little bit surprised like you are releasing a bit of the control uh, and then you are a bit surprised on the way things will come together so you don't get bored of yourself and you can benefit from this person adding something that you would not be able exactly. to deliver yourself. Exactly, exactly. Uh, which is quite wonderful, uh, I it, think. It is, it is indeed. But it is indeed. actually now, after talking about all these things and standing in there, somehow the lighthouse stands out a lot because it's this very classical, like, white pedestal podium, like, gallery style, and then it's this white plastic 3D printed. Yeah. So, like, this choice of having a plastic centerpiece is quite interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a bit problematic, maybe, but it's PLA, so it's not going to stay with us forever. No, and but also that's just what you can do with the 3D printing, it, right? It, it, yeah. it, 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 there are certain decisions that, unfortunately, we need to give for granted in the fabrication. Of course, other people might be more advanced than me, so they would actually make more decisions about that. Um, but I was you have to be pragmatic sometimes for certain things I, I, I think um, I was already sort of this is the first iteration of the lighthouse mm-hmm. so I was already sort of happy to see it in yeah the I'm flash. very curious to see the next installation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's not going to be like dramatically different but because we're going to have more control of the lighting situation I think we can make more decision about the quality of that light mm-hmm. in itself and also how it's going to be in dialogue with the projection because it's going to be of course different yeah because I mean it's quite dramatic already to have one moving constantly moving light yep. and so it's quite dramatic to have projections in a space yep. also mm-hmm. so it would be a lot of action yeah and it's going to be very important to sort of very well uh, like somehow do this uh, stage design or set design for the space, but time is going to be very important in that. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be, there are things that I really like to do here. You have like the fact that I really like this moment where things stop for a moment, mm, like yeah. moment of like reduction of an element and then suddenly you can pay attention to another. So I, I think they 
choreographing time in these kinds of things is going to it's I pay a lot of attention to so in the next exhibition there's going to be I'm not going to sort of say how but uh, there's going to be quite many decisions made about mm -hmm. time uh, yeah over I'm sorry really have to wrap up but um when we talk about these little treasures you find along the way or discoveries, what, which one is your favorite that you have made in this process? Like you had a plan from the beginning and then you did the work and which was the favorite like uh, treasure you found on the way that you had to incorporate or that changed the project? Uh, I think maybe as I said, the, the moment that we decided that we, we want uh, have uh, like projection and we decided to go with the, the creation of an image I think that was the really the pivotal point and uh, as in, in the maybe the, the moment of you know this moment of ex excitement when you have during the process where you know you try something and it was maybe the first time that I actually saw the light house like spinning inside the art and technology lab and I put the yeah. lights down that was of course it's nothing complicated but it was a magical moment it's no, very it is, it is. It, the, the moment that you see this light going around you when uh, it felt it felt really you know you have this sense of wonder when when those things happen the first time I built a prototype of my glass wall in my studio and just like um projected like a small projection through it but it was even like a small size I almost cried it was yeah. so beautiful uh, yeah. and it was just a small prototype on the wall a little bit random video yeah. but it worked so well even yeah. better than I could have imagined yeah, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think you we are really it, it, it's really the you know those moments actually give you so much strength to continue like they, they give you this yeah uh, you're like oh my god you. I created magic yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. so little yeah 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 and then another beautiful thing I was really to to have the possibility to meet this researcher and mm -hmm. encounter a person that is super knowledgeable, uh, very rigorous, but also very supportive. That was very hum like yeah. on a human, the human factor, the human interaction with the, with somebody outside the piece, and but still that wanted to help. So yeah, wow. Yeah, actually, the people who will do the in episode with me in uh, Helsinki Biennale, they made this like water audio trip with the ferry to the Biennale where they collaborated with a scientist who has been writing scientific poems about like the water and lighthouse okay. and stuff. No, oh, yeah, yes. and so it's part of their audio piece, yes. so it resembles a lot. It's yeah. nice. Okay, I have to go and meet uh, Natalie, the person whose episode came out yesterday okay. for a coffee. So thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. Wow. Yeah, this, it was really, really nice to talk to you in this context. It was yeah. great, right? Yeah, it was yeah. really great. I didn't sleep so much, so I was afraid that no, I would no. be more chaotic. I, but I think no, it was no, no, no. Very I think you were very sharp. Good <laughs> question, and uh, also, but still very comfortable. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm really happy to yes. hear. I also practice a lot. This is episode 28. Okay. Yeah. 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 Now you are, you are, a, you are a mess, buddy. Almost. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, and thank you for listening. Uh, do you have any social media or website that you want to share with the listeners? Uh, yeah, uh, of course I want to say that the ex exhibition go still goes on until the end of the month. Yeah. Uh, okay, but this will come this after. This will come okay. a little bit so, after, sorry. But uh, of course, uh, 
people can follow the, the, the name of the like the name of the um, uh, sorry the organization the organization exactly the organization is called Balmed again so I, there's a w website I will people... add links in the show notes yes exactly also. and uh, of course they, people can read a little bit more about what we've been talking about on my website and which we will is, add links yes, to Emma uh, and, we will, and of course to, to Emma's oh, website oh yeah I'm sorry Claudia what is your website uh, robertofusco.net okay yes and uh, emmafelt.net do you guys have Instagram accounts or something yes or? yes we don't have it joined but uh, mine is uh, underscore robertofusco so it's very easy to find yes cool yeah wow yeah I will add all the links thank you so much and now I really have to run because I will totally be late <laughs> okay. okay okay thanks thank you bye bye thank, thank you for, for listening hope you enjoyed it, it.